Welcome to Feed Matters, Feed Navigator's new podcast series exploring industry challenges, concerns and emerging topics. I'm Jane Byrne. Digestion in cows relies on millions of microbes in their guts, processing and fermenting high-fibre foods. This process allows the animals to survive on a diet of grass, but it also produces large quantities of methane. As cows burp, they emit the methane produced in their stomach, and this factor makes dairy and beef production responsible for a significant amount of man-made global warming. But the race is on to find solutions, and we are joined to discuss this by a methane emission reduction expert, Jan Dijkster, Assistant Professor in Ruminant Nutrition at Wageningen University in the Netherlands. Yeah, and great strides would seem to have been made in recent years with scientists claiming to have achieved significant reductions in methane emissions using seaweed in dairy cattle diets, with no negative impact on rumen function, for instance. And DSM has also been sharing results of trials on its feed additive, 3NOP, in this respect. It has also filed for registration in several territories. I know you have been evaluating 3NOP, Jan, so let's start there. What is it and what are the pros and cons of using it to cut methane emissions in cows? Yeah, 3NOP is a very interesting compound made by DSM, brand name being Bovair. 3NOP is a, it's a pretty simple compound. It actually consists of a molecule of propylene glycol, which uh, most people from practice know propylene glycol can be used to, uh, to fight ketosis. And the other molecule in there is nitrate. And when you bind it together, it's 3-NOP, 3-nitroxypropanol. And the interesting thing of that is that it resembles a key molecule in the process of methane formation. And that key molecule is called 3-methyl-coenzyme uh, N. Um, and that methyl-coenzyme M uh, is then kind of taken over by this uh, 3-NOP and therefore uh, the microbes start to produce a lower amount of methane. You only need a very tiny amount of it, um, something like 60 parts per million and for, for example, for a dairy cow, that boils down to say one to two grams of 3-NOP per day in the diet, so only small amounts. Um, and it has been shown in well, over 20 studies now that 3-NOP will really decrease methane. The response of, uh, of methane, so the reduction in methane, can be quite variable. If you look at literature, you can find anything between 0%, so no significant decline, up to over 80% reduction in methane. That, that, that's obviously a whole lot. Um, and it's very important to look into the variation. Uh, why is this variation there? So we did actually a meta-analysis a year ago, and we found that, first of all, not surprisingly, that the dose of 3NOP that you give is a major determinant of the efficacy. So basically, the more you give, the greater the reduction in methane emission. But the other component that was more surprising was that the level of fiber in the diet is also a factor that is important. The more fiber there is in the diet, the lower the efficacy of 3-NOP. So high fiber diets uh, have a lower efficacy 
of 3NOP to reduce methane, or in other words, you need greater amounts of 3NOP to achieve the same levels of methane reduction. So it has quite a bit of advantages, uh, major reductions in methane, and what's very important also is that uh, it's a lasting effect. So we know from lots of compounds that we add to the, to the diet in order to affect methane, quite often microbes will adapt to that compound. So microbes are very uh, versatile. They rapidly respond to changes in diet and also change into what you add to the diet. And often you see that the reduction in methane uh, disappears after a couple of week, weeks because the microbes adapt. Well, with 3NOP, it has been shown that this has a lasting effect, and that's obviously very important in order to use it in, in practice. So that's a major advantage. And another advantage is that it does not affect um, feed intake or milk production for dairy cattle in a negative way. The other side of it, it also does not increase it, unfortunately. But it looks like um, that for uh, especially beef cattle, there is a small... Uh, improvement in the feed efficiency. So in that case, uh, it, it, it adding 3NOP would be helpful in order to obtain a slightly better feed efficiency. Is it more effective in dairy than beef? Yeah, it's more effective actually in dairy cattle. So in our meta-analysis, we also distinguish dairy cattle from beef cattle. And at the very same level of fiber, or the very same level of uh, 3NOP in the diet, the effect is 20 percentage units better in dairy cattle. And we think that's related to the generally much higher feed intake levels in dairy cattle compared with beef cattle or compared with sheep. It also works in sheep, but again, at apparently a lower efficiency. Now, as part of a Dutch consortium, you are continuing to evaluate 3NOP uh, in dairy cow diets. We're doing a study um, in which we have practical diets, practical as they are used in melons and several other areas in Western Europe uh, in which we have uh, in which we vary the uh, ratio of grass silage to corn silage um, and we expect that a high corn silage diet uh, will have a higher efficacy of the product than the high grass silage diet but that's something that we're going to test the, the experiments running as we speak um, and that's also important because in the Netherlands for example to get credits for methane reduction, you need to be sure that the methane reduction is actually achieved. And therefore, we have a system, we call it annual nutrient cycling system. Farmers have to, um, on their farm, make that, uh, that, that cycling system, the, the numbers every year. And in order to incorporate the reduction of methane, you have to be sure that that uh, actually is, is part of the case. And then you need to know, is that a farmer that uses lots of grass silage or uses a lot of corn silage? So that, that's very active research that, that we're doing at the moment. And I think another very active research is, does 3NOP work as effectively if you add other methane inhibitors there? So for example, nitrate is a known methane reducing agent. Will 3-NOP be as effective if there's also already nitrate in the diet? So lots of exciting new research coming up. What are the cost implications from using this in feed formulations? Yeah, for feed formulation, um, uh, well, like I said, you, you need only a tiny amount. So as such, it does not change a whole lot. Um, but otherwise, for feed formulation, the, the point is that 
the, the, the stuff is obviously not for free. You have to pay a price to, to include it. And you don't get a whole lot of benefit in terms of a higher production. Um, so in the end, it's a matter of uh, the farmer needs to be paid to have a product, a product, sorry, milk or, or beef that has a lower carbon footprint. The other part of it is that consumers are obviously, they want to be sure that the product is safe. No residues in milk, that it doesn't have any negative consequences for the animal. Um, so uh, we also need to ensure, and EFSA is one of the agencies that will also have their say in that, but we need to ensure also to the public that it's fully uh, safe to use this this compound. The public will probably see it as a non-natural compound, uh, maybe see it as a kind of antibiotic because it's targeting a specific group of microbes. There's a whole lot of uh, education, perhaps, if you like, that we, that we need to do in order to get it into practice. Now, moving on to another area of research. Studies at Penn State University in the US last year on a red seaweed that grows in the tropics showed that in lactating dairy cows, methane emissions were decreased by 80%, with no effect on feed intake or milk yield. When this was fed at up to 0.5% of feed dried matter intake. Is this not a major discovery, Anne? Yes and no. Uh, obviously, it's a major discovery that we could add seaweed to the diet of animals and that such huge reductions in methane uh, have been seen. Uh, other studies, this study started basically in Australia with sheep. There's also a study from uh, University of California in Davis. Um, it, I also say no, because we now know that the mechanism, why does the seaweed reduce methane, is well known already. Uh, that this seaweed reduces methane because this seaweed has got uh, halogen compounds, and the major one in it is bromoform. And um, the Asparagopsis species, they produce those uh, halogen compounds like bromoform in specialized grand plants and it's a natural defense for them against uh, disease and also being uh, consumed in the sea by, by, by other living organisms. So it's, it's a defense mechanism basically, this bromoform. And we knew already from say the 70s that bromoform or, or similar compounds have a very good methane-reducing effect. So in that sense it's, it's no surprise to me that it uh, works quite well. Uh, which also brings me immediately to the major uh, potential downside of this. Bromoform is uh, a compound that actually is uh, depleting ozone. So we are worried about the ozone layer, obviously. We want the ozone layer to be intact in order to absorb uh, the ultraviolet light of the sun. And if we somehow produce more bromoform, that may have negative effects on the ozone layer. And another thing I would like to mention here that we need to research into quite more detail is that bromoform is potentially carcinogenic. So we need to ensure that it can be used safely for uh, the animal, as well as that there's no bromoform in the end product, the beef or the milk. Um, and it's also, uh, we know that bromoform is irritating to the skin. So people have done experiments with bromoform, for example, in rats using far higher quantities, obviously, than, than it's present in the seaweed. But in those rats, they clearly saw um, 
negative effects on uh, the stomach, having ulcers in the stomach and having uh, inflammations of the respiratory tract. Now, there's also a first study in Australia in which they fed it to sheep and after the study, those animals were sacrificed and they found um, negative changes to the rumen wall in the animals that received the seaweed. So there is uh, something that we need to really be fully sure of that there are no negative effects on the animal itself. And these downsides are, are not really mentioned when, when you see headlines in relation to seaweed and, and methane emissions in cattle. Yeah, that happens a lot with those uh, additives or whatever you do to, uh, to combat methane. Uh, yes, those, those negative sides are indeed not mentioned a whole lot. And I would also like to stress here that um, although that Penn State research, very interesting research, um, was quite positive on the outcome. Um, the study of uh, UC Davis showed that already at 0.5% inclusion, there was already a reduction in feed intake, a 10% reduction in feed intake. And also, there was a tendency for a decrease in the milk protein content. Um, so uh, there are issues around the palatability of the seaweed. Um, and there are issues around, obviously, the, the resulting production of milk uh, or, or, or beef. And we need to be very careful with this. In a way, you might wonder, um, is it useful now that we know that, that bromoform is the compound that really is doing the trick? Why would we actually use seaweed in order to deliver the bromoform to animals? Wouldn't it be more safe to have bromoform as such manufactured in a, in a, in a, in a factory? and add it in known amounts to the feed. So there are issues around, around this seaweed and the active compound that need to be researched more thoroughly. Do you see seaweed holding out any kind of promise in, in relation to methane emissions reduction? Um, well, we need to solve the problems that I just mentioned. And an another problem is that um, you need a whole lot of of, of seaweed in order to feed all the cattle worldwide. That, that's impossible. You can't do it. You can't not even feed a small uh, number of cattle. Basically, the amount of that seaweed asparagopsis that, is, that, that would be available. So what we need to do is to, uh, to grow that, uh, that particular seaweed um, in, uh, in artificial uh, areas, basically, um, in order to have sufficient amounts of it. Um, and then once you've grown it, the other uh, issue is that bromoform is very volatile. So you need to harvest the seaweed in a very careful way. Probably have to freeze it almost immediately and then freeze dry it or have other protection mechanisms in order to ensure that the bromoform will not escape uh, the feed. So that's another major issue. Having said all that, I, I, I can see the potential of seaweed if we solve those problems. And I certainly can see, but it's a whole different issue, the potential of seaweed in terms of delivering a whole lot of protein to animals. So you have an alternative protein source that can be used in order to feed our ruminants. Indeed. Well, researchers have also been examining various other nutritional strategies, haven't they, Jan? Like the, the impact yeah. of roughage quality, uh, yeah. residual feed and, and feed efficiency on methane production uh, in cows. So what insights can you share with us around those developments? Yeah, there's uh, indeed, there's uh, 
whole lot of research out there. Um, if you first take the forage quality, um, our own research uh, has has shown we've, we've done a couple of experiments that the forage quality has a major impact on the amount of methane being produced. So what we did, we we took uh, grass, halved it to make silage, and we changed the grass quality. Uh, by changing the fertilization level or changing the mode of harvesting. So having very young grass, which is, has lots of leaves, is highly digestible, versus more mature grass, which is more stemmy and is more difficult for the animal to, to degrade. And what we found in a range that is uh, used in practice in the Netherlands, that the uh, young grass, so the uh, immature grass, gives up to 30% less methane than the uh, more mature grass, M much less methane uh, when you express it per unit of uh, digestible organic matter, so that's a major determinant of the amount of net energy that the animal consumes, or when you express it per unit of, of milk. And that was a major finding to us, and that's also implemented now in our strategies in the Netherlands in order to reduce methane. But what we also found when we looked in literature is that this effect was far less clear in beef cattle and that actually it was it seemed like to be the opposite in sheep so if you give sheep better digestible grass silage actually they produce more methane per unit of uh, digestible organic matter um, so it depends very much on the species that you're dealing with whether or not this type of um, of, of, of strategy will be successful or not. Now when you talk about feed efficiency, the major uh, background to feed efficiency is basically if we need a lower amount of feed to produce the same amount of milk or the same amount of, uh, of, of meat, uh, the line of thinking is that obviously if you eat, eat less feed, a lower amount of methane potentially might be produced and in that way it, it, it's very good to have a good feed efficiency. Um, and what the active research area here is, is what people call residual uh, feed efficiency. And with residual feed efficiency, people mean um, the feed efficiency of an animal expressed at a certain production level, uh, and then compared with other animals at the very same production level, if that animal requires a lower amount of feed. Um, and if that animal requires a lower amount of feed, we, we call it a negative residual feed intake. That means it's good, it needs less feed. But the question is then, why did that animal need a lower amount of feed to produce the same amount of milk? It can be, for example, that from the absorbed nutrients, that animal is more efficient in using the absorbed nutrients to produce milk. That, that's a possibility. But a very plausible possibility is also that those animals that are more efficient are actually in part more efficient because they have a higher or a better digestion of the feed. And there are some results out there in literature that show indeed that the uh, more efficient animals actually are also animals that have a better digestion and therefore produce more methane per kilogram of feed. In other words, the total amount of methane being produced does not change, okay? So we may have a better feed efficiency, but actually the amount of methane produced per unit of milk or per unit of beef 
may still be the same. I think the, the, the jury is still out on this one, whether or not and how important this compensating mechanism is. But for sure is a, is a possibility that at least part of the effect that you expect when you feed less feed, that part of it is simply because of a let, that, better digestibility and methane emissions will not really uh, change. And we need to dive into the topic a whole lot more. Also in terms of genetics, people uh, have found that um, methane production appears to be a her heritable trait. The heritability is there. It's, it's low. It's a low heritability, but it is heritable. And therefore, you can breed for low methane emitters. And then the same question pops up. Why is an animal that genetically produces less methane is that an animal that uh, probably changed its digestion or changed its uh, fermentation, different types of microbes in the rumen? We really don't know a whole lot about that. There's some interesting studies in Australia, for example, where they show that animals that are genetically better, so they produce less methane, that those animals are at the same time animals that have a smaller rumen volume. So the retention time of feed in the rumen is lower, animals produce indeed less methane, but they also have a lower digestion. In other words, they need more feed to produce the same amount of, of product again. So we can breed for low methane emitters, but at the same time we need to ensure that there are no negative consequences on other important aspects such as digestibility of the animal. So looking forward, are you optimistic, Jan, that serious methane reductions can be achieved in the next five to ten years? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm very optimistic about that, uh, in particular when we see that there is this uh, public concern about greenhouse gases. So I expect that uh, there really will be uh, lots of interest and also, you know, um, that people are willing to pay more for a, a product that is being produced with a lower carbon footprint. And I see that the research comes up with lots of promising routes and directions to uh, to tackle the problem. So in five to 10 years time, depending obviously on economic situation, but I do expect we produce uh, milk or beef with at least 20% less methane.